Welcome to the Lovable Podcast. I'm Kelly Flanagan, clinical psychologist and author of Lovable, embracing what is truest about you so you can truly embrace your life. In this podcast, I'm walking with you each week for one year through Lovable's companion book, the year of listening, loving, and living. This companion book is currently available nowhere else, so I hope you'll join us on this journey as together we recognize, reveal, and resurrect your truest, worthiest, most lovable self. Can't shake these lies, they keep running around in my head. But what if I saw me the way that you see me? What if I believed it was true? What if I traded this shame and self hatred for a chance at belief? Welcome, everyone, to the 27th episode of the Lovable Podcast. You know, it's hard to believe, but this week we find ourselves at exactly the halfway point in this year of listening, loving, and living. This week we're going to directly tackle the problem of loneliness by examining how our culture of mass connection fools us into believing we are being seen, and then outlining one simple practice that will help you begin to build true belonging in which you feel truly and safely seen. Before we get into this week's episode, though, a couple of quick announcements. I just returned from the inaugural Lovable Weekend in Waco, Texas. And first of all, a big shout out to Ashton Gustafson, the the good, true, and beautiful podcast originator, and his wife, Bryn, for their impeccable hosting uh, and their warm hospitality. And to the 20-plus people who joined us from California and Utah and Oklahoma and Iowa and Texas and Tennessee and other places, what, what an experience. In a word, I, I, can't, I keep trying to come up with a word for it. Um, and in a word, I think I would describe it as just magical. Um, I miss all of you already if you're listening in. Um, and I look forward to some time down the road, hopefully, where we get to, to see each other again. Um, and for anyone listening in, if you're interested in hosting a lovable weekend of your own, you can go to drkellyflanagan.com backslash speaking to contact me. Um, I'd love to hear from you and see if uh, maybe we can spread a little bit of the magic. Uh, let's see what else. Um, I want to make sure you got a free copy of my ebook about marriage. It explores how we've turned marriage into a commodity and how we can reclaim it as the radically transformative experience it's meant to be. Again, you can go to my website, drkellyflanagan.com. That's drkellyflanagan.com and sign up in the right sidebar. Um, in your introductory email, you'll get the free ebook and a free sample of Lovable. And then after that, each week, you'll get one email on Wednesday mornings with a link to this podcast. Um, and to my every other week blog post. And that's it. It's that simple. Uh, so go there and get that free ebook. Um, and if you want more than just a sample of Lovable, go to lovablethebook.com. That's lovablethebook.com to find out all about it. Lovable is available everywhere in paperback, digital, and audio. So pick it up where uh, um, wherever you like to buy books. I think that's it for announcements. Uh, so let's get going. Week 26, let's talk about the opposite of loneliness. Hello, Facebook Live. Welcome to week 26 of the year of listening, loving, and living, which is entitled The Opposite of Loneliness. We are smack in the middle of the months of loving, the months of building true belonging. And this week marks a sort of a shift from taking, you know, we've been focused on taking down our walls, um, stepping away from our ego cannons, um, stepping down off our thrones, um, revealing who we are in a process um, that begins to clarify who we belong to and who we don't belong to so that our circles of belonging actually begin to shrink. 
That is a hard process we've been going through. Now we're going to start focusing on enriching our belonging with those who remain. Um, and I think these remaining weeks in these months of loving are going to be um, an exciting time for all of us. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited to shift into this new phase with you. Um, but before we do, uh, I want to check in with you. Where do you find yourself right now in the midst of building belonging in your life? Which parts of these months of loving have been challenging you or growing you or confusing you or simply affirming what you've been doing all along? I'd love to hear from you. So be thinking about you know what you want to share and um, I'm going to share my experience while you're thinking about that. My experience really from this past weekend, from the lovable weekend um, in in uh, in Waco, Texas, that I mentioned I mentioned in the introduction um, to the episode. I'll tell you, I'll give you an example of something that was really special about it. So first of all, from the first uh, round of introductions on Friday night, our host uh, Bryn said after the introduction, she was like, "Okay, we can all go home." I'm enriched, I'm blessed. Um, and then um, at the concluding sort of informal ceremony around the campfire, around the, the fire pit, um, we realized that uh, we were just finding out what people did for a living at the very end of the weekend. You know, oh, you're a fireman. Oh, you're an engineer. Oh, you're an event planner. Um, and we realized that what was so, part, partly for me, what was so rich about the experience of belonging was that we didn't lead with our roles. We didn't lead with our sort of the identities that we put out there. When we first greet somebody, right, what do we do? Oh, what do you do? You know, and then we immediately give them our role, the safe sort of packaged version of what we do, our rehearsed version. And it didn't happen in this weekend. So it didn't matter that we were coming from diverse cultures, diverse backgrounds, um, very different roles in life, very different sort of economic and social statuses, what mattered was that we were coming to a place and the only thing that was really ultimately shared by everybody was a sense of, I don't want to live for my ego anymore. I want to live for my true self. Um, and that one of the things that was sort of reinforced for me was that in places of true belonging, it's not about uniformity. It's not about sameness. It's not about everybody having stuff in common and having all the same beliefs. The only thing that you need to have in common is an awareness that number one, our common identity is our humanity um, and that we are no longer interested in hiding that humanity um, from the people around us, but we want to reveal that humanity um, and enjoy a sense of belonging that transcends our social groups. Um, and a sense of belonging to humanity in general. And when everybody is entering into a space with that awareness and that hope and that goal, it truly is magical. Um, there's a sense of unity and connection that just can't be had when we're talking about our roles and our um, sort of constructed identities in life. Um, so that uh, was such a blessing to me. Um, that to experience that, I'm grateful for everyone there um, and. Um, for if you're listening, I said it in the introduction, I, you, I miss you. Um, it was lovely to be with you. Julie writes, found a good-sized blind spot this week, which at first felt like a trip down the chutes and ladders slide from near the top back to the beginning with self-acceptance in terms of this three-part journey. But with a tiny bit of thought, realistically, it's about a whole, not the whole. In other words, a whole with just an H versus not the whole with a W-H-O-L-E. So after a deep breath or <laughs> six minutes or hours, 
Um, a, I realize it's not too bad, and B, an opportunity for more wholeness worth celebrating. Um, Julie, you you you're taking it to the you're taking your sense of worthiness to the next level with that, um, and that's exactly what what we hope for in these months of living, of listening, loving, and living is that not that we not that we end up whole. Um, but that we grow in a sense of grace and compassion for the ways that we discover we're not whole. <laughs> and, uh, and that in the process <laughs> um, of that, giving ourselves grace and compassion, we actually begin to get a little bit closer to wholeness. Um, it is totally disconcerting, totally disconcerting when you discover a blind spot. Um, you know, and for those of people listening, what is a blind spot? Um, blind spot could be, um, anything that I'm doing in my life, in myself, in my relationships that I was unaware of, um, and I'm probably not proud of. And then all of a sudden it's presented to me and I'm aware of it. Um, and I have to all at once, I have to integrate, um, all of that truth and reality and it can send us spiraling right back into our shame. I'm not good enough. Um, but Julie, you're modeling for us that it's possible to have that moment, take a breath or two and go, okay, I've learned something new about myself. Um, I can have grace and compassion for myself in the midst of that. That is really beautiful. Um, thank you. Thank you for sharing that, Julie. Julie writes, yes, ever tried, ever failed, no matter, try again, fail again, fail better. That's Hemingway. I didn't know that. Quote, ever tried, ever failed, no matter, try again, fail again, fail better. Ah, love it. Love it. Love Hemingway, just stripped down, saying it the way it is. That's <laughs> one of his gifts. Stephanie writes, Do you feel we ever get to the place of feeling whole, or are we always growing? If there is something we feel we can't get over, is it grace to just say, this thing may never feel reconciled, so I just accept it? Stephanie, my, my gut reaction to that is a, is a yes and no, both. Um, that if we allow ourselves to... Um, know that wholeness is an experience that can happen momentarily, not a state that we sort of arrive at and stay at, um, then I think, yes, um, we can get to the place of feeling whole, um, but we have to have the grace for ourselves to recognize that that, that sense of wholeness will um, be shaken. Um, we, we will find ourselves running back to our protective ego and operating from that rather than this robust sense of, um, of safety that we have within our true self um, and a sense of wholeness in that. So, so yeah, um, wholeness, feelings of wholeness can definitely happen. Um, I think I experienced that a lot this past weekend, um, but there will be moments in the coming weeks and months and year when I don't feel that at all. Um, and and what, we're, what we're getting at there is that um, it's not that wholeness is a feeling that comes and goes. Wholeness is a re the reality of who we are, that our true self is entirely whole. Um, and to the extent that we are inhabiting our true self and living from it, we get to experience that wholeness. But um, it, is, it is expecting too much of ourselves to expect ourselves to be constantly living from our true self. And we have to have grace for ourselves when we when we get scared, when we leave that, when we begin to doubt it, um, and then to gradually figure out what happened and work our way back to, to reconnecting with our true self. So um, maybe a longer answer than you expected, but 
those are my thoughts. And then Julie says, oh, hey, don't anybody think I didn't have to weep over the loss of the beliefs and wishes that were covering the aforementioned blind spot? That happened, and it sucked. Not the most articulate descriptor I know. Yeah, it sucked. We have one rule in our house. The kids are allowed to swear if there's not a better descriptor. <laughs> and occasionally there isn't one. Um, and sucked is a, a pretty good descriptor to describe the experience of facing a blind spot and all the pain that comes up with, with that when we face it. So thank you, Julie, for not, uh, not sugarcoating it, um, that it wasn't just a couple breaths, but um, a bunch of, maybe a bunch of sobs and then a couple breaths. Um, and, uh, and that's what it looks like, right? To find our way back to that voice of grace, there's always a, there's always a disorientation. Um, apocalypse means to disorient. Um, to, to change things so they can't be the same again. So when we are faced with a blind spot, something we didn't know that we were doing, and are not, we, we, it's literally an apocalyptic experience. We become disoriented, and we go through that disorientation, as you're describing, Julie, and then we slowly begin to reorient ourselves as we reconnect with the voice of grace, reassuring us that it's okay, um, that we're human, and we're learning, and we're moving forward. Deb F. writes, I dwindled down to almost no one, but had to let that happen as the people who surrounded me were not willing to let me grow. It was scary. After allowing this to marinate a bit, I am now finding my tribe and people who are more open and genuine. It's a hard thing, Deb, what you're describing, and I know that you're, you're getting to the other side of it and able to look back and see the, the value and the blessing in having your, your tribe of people dwindle. Um, but there's a graciousness in what you just said, you know, they just weren't willing to let you grow. Um, they weren't willing to let you change, um, and be, well, and to change back into being you more you, right? And, uh, and so, so much of belonging is about finding people who will encourage us and support us as we grow and become more who we are. In fact, the, the entire premise of putting worthiness, then belonging, and then purpose in that sequence is that if we are going to pursue our passions in the world and try to fall into rhythm with a sense of purpose, we're gonna need our people to support us as we try new things, do new things, take risks, and uh, and become more who we are. So Deb, thank you for naming that very important quality of belonging, people who will encourage us as we grow more into who we already are. Donna writes, good morning. Belonging took on a new meaning for me last weekend in a room full of people that I had never met and got to experience being being and belonging, not just to that group, but within myself. Thank you, Dr. Kelly Flanagan. It was a blessing. Donna, um, I, ah, uh, it's, I miss you. Um, uh, it was such a beautiful, like you just described it so beautifully, right? That be it's almost like belonging was waiting for us in that, in that space. Um, people we had never met and yet somehow belong to instantly when we got there and uh, um, what a blessing to get to spend you know 48 hours in that way um, so Donna um, thanks for being here in this space today too it's so good to see you again Brenda writes I've been concentrating on pivoting to my immediate family eight growing to nine is enough um, it reminds me Brenda of uh, something that a wonderful wonderful mentor said to me years ago um, when I was I sat down with him expecting in our very first meeting for him to tell me all these things I should be doing, you know, differently in the world. And he said to me, he said, uh, he said, Kelly, here's my advice to you. Um, you will have plenty of time to save the world after your kids are grown and gone. And if you don't, you have bigger problems than saving the world. Um, focus on your family. Um, focus on cultivating belonging there. 
focus on on raising kids who know how to be adults. So, um, so yeah, I think it's okay. It's okay to focus on our families and invest in them. Thank you for that, Brenda. Deb F writes, Mother Teresa said, if you want to save the world, do so by going home and loving your family first. Oh, Deb, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. That's beautiful. If you want to save the world, do so by going home and loving your family first. So good. Uh, Terry writes, yes, belonging and finding your tribe, but also realizing that there will be times where we won't feel that belonging with others. We need to be around due to work or other obligations. We can't allow those times to strip us of the sense of worthiness and belonging we have when we are with our tribe or even just ourselves. That's a great point, Terry. Um, that the the immediate evidence of belonging may not be consistent. Um, we may find ourselves alone. Uh, we may find ourselves going through periods of time where we aren't able to connect with those people we love to connect with. Um, but what we want to do is we want to take away um, from the embrace of our worthiness and from our experiences of, of belonging that it that again that belonging is the reality that underpins everything. That I'm human. You're human. Uh, we belong to each other, and something has gotten in the way, and we're we're removing that something. Um, and so, belonging isn't just an experience. Um, belonging is an experience of a reality that we can try to stay tuned into, even when we are not experiencing it. Um, and it's important to remember that because there will be dry times. Thank you for that, Terry. Donna writes, on the way home from the weekend, my husband and I came to the conclusion that just having moments, one after the other, some spread out, some close together, where we will feel that wholeness, we know it will always be a process and we've decided to embrace that. Yeah, you know, um, it's that for me, it was that story I shared around the fire pit that last night, um, that, um, that faith is the moments between the magic, right? That that faith is those dry moments, those long, dark moments where you can remember a moment of light in the past and say, okay, that exists, that exists in the world and I will persist until I experience it again. You know, so um, that, that sense of belonging that we experienced in Waco, um, it, it may not happen again for a little while, but it exists in the world, it's possible. We know that now, and we can have faith that a moment of magic like that will happen again in our lives if we continue to cultivate and be faithful to uh, to building and seeking that kind of belonging. So, um, so yeah, that is so well said, Donna. Thank you, um, and thank Gary for me too. Heather writes, I think at this point I'd like to get to a point of peace on a more constant basis. When I find I just want to keep it, but dang, it's fleeting. You know, it's you you can't yeah you can't make a thought happen. You can't make a feeling happen. You can only cultivate the conditions um, that invite those invite those feelings. And I think that's the temptation. Whenever we want a sense of peace, whenever we're feeling desperate for it, we sort of squeeze the possibility of peace out of the moment. Um, but we can cultivate conditions, and that's what embracing our worthiness is all about, beginning to rest, letting go of all the things we do we think we need to do to achieve peace. Um, becoming present to ourselves once again, embracing our worthiness, cultivating connection, that in the end, all of these things lead to a steadier and steadier sense of peace. Um, but, you know, uh, you, can't, you can't achieve it by going right after it, ironically. Julia writes, Heather, you are not alone in that. Recently in my head, I'm su 
Quote, I'm supposed to be feeling peaceful now. Ugh, what is wrong with me? Oh, wait, that other stuff is there to tell me something. Unquote. You won't be surprised that that was effective. The things we learn again and again, I roll. I experienced something for the first time in March. Um, I, I was feeling very peaceful, and, um, and yet I started to notice that my attachment to that sense of peace was happening, that I was getting attached to it, that I wanted to keep things exactly the way that they were, and that as I was starting to get attached to that sense of peace, I was starting to behave in ways that was going to sabotage the sense of peace. You know, perfectionism and controlling behaviors and anxiety about not wanting anything to come in and interrupt this, this sense of peace. Um, and so for the most part, I was able to go, whoa, um, quit trying to hold on to this sense of peace. Enjoy it. Um, and when it leaves, as it will, let it go and continue to do what you need to do in your life to cultivate its return. So, um, yeah, it can be dangerous. It can be dangerous to hold on to it. We sort of kill peace by our attachment to it in a way. All right, so let's keep this discussion going um, by transitioning into this week's reading from the companion book, which is once again about belonging. So um, it's called Week 26, The Opposite of Loneliness. Here we go. I remember the first time I witnessed loneliness, and I can still feel the way it ruptured me. I was in grade school, playing hooky on a Friday afternoon, traveling with my father to a Chicago Bulls game. While munching on fries at a roadside McDonald's, I glanced at the table opposite us. My eyes suddenly itched and I felt something throb behind them. Sitting several feet away was a man whose image was instantly seared into my mind. I can't, I can still remember, I can still picture him right now. Because his loneliness was oozing from every pore. A youngish man, mid-thirties, bushy red hair, eyeglasses thick and slightly askew, weak chin, a short-sleeved shirt and a clashing tie, Big sad eyes staring into the distance, nibbling on a french fry of his own. He spoke to me with those eyes, and they said, I'm all alone, and I'm used to it, and I'm resigned to it. There is nothing more for me. I think he broke my heart because he was a mirror for my own loneliness, a painfully shy kid who felt completely unanchored in the world. The years have rolled by, and now I'm that man's age. And I'm a therapist now instead of a kid. I put down roots in the world. But one thing remains unchanged by time. Lonely hearts still rupture me. As a therapist, I've come to believe loneliness is at the heart of human suffering. It's the shame telling us there's nobody truly with us because we aren't worth being with. It's the depression convincing us we are alone in the darkness and no one notices. It's the haunting fear we are on our own without protection and there's nothing solid to land on. It's the pulse of a thousand addictions. It's a child's rebellion shouting, if I can't be looked upon with a warm eye, I will settle for a frustrated, angry, disciplinary eye. The world we live in is aching with loneliness, yet we are rarely aware of it because in a loud and crowded world, loneliness has a thousand busy disguises. We sit in traffic jams thick as quicksand. We work in offices cramped with a hundred cubicles. We tweet our thoughts to a thousand followers. We instantly upload photos to Facebook, updating friends and family about our every move. We share videos of ourselves on YouTube with the tap of a finger and within hours we have thousands of viewers. We feel connected, sometimes even too connected, and yet loneliness is spreading like an epidemic. It's spreading like damp mold behind seemingly pristine walls. Our loneliness is growing because it is only eliminated by being seen. It is only re relieved by a slow, careful attentiveness and a deep knowing of who we are. And in a world of traffic jam relationships and friendship by appointment, being really seen has become an antiquated experience. But the good news is, it isn't extinct. 
About one quarter of a century after my McDonald's encounter with loneliness, I was sitting in a different restaurant and I witnessed the opposite of loneliness. I witnessed belonging. I had just settled in to do some writing when I noticed an attractive sound behind me. I turned around to find a group of nine clearly retired, silver-haired men sharing coffee in the quiet murmur of conversation, punctuated by comfortable laughter at the telling of familiar jokes and anecdotes. My heart hummed and longed. These were the least lonely-looking men I had ever seen. There was a kind of connection and belonging here that sang to me. I wondered if I was witnessing the fruit of people able and willing to really see each other. I didn't have to wonder for long. You see, I can't write without music, and I'd left my headphones in the car. So I snuck out the building's back door to retrieve them, and when I tried to re-enter, the door was locked. But one of the men saw me. He eased himself out of his chair and slowly hobbled across the restaurant, past a number of patrons who had already looked at me and glanced away. He opened the door and he said, Come in, son. Come in, son. I see you and I welcome you. In an instant, I felt like I belonged to that group of men, and I knew the companionship I was witnessing was no accident. These men had a way of seeing people that gave birth to a sense of belonging in others. This time, the pressure behind my eyes felt like freedom instead of emptiness. Loneliness isn't a problem. Loneliness is an alarm clock, waking us up to our deep, aching need for connection and belonging and relationships in which we are seen. The alarm is ringing, and we need to wake up and see each other. And in order to do that, we need to grossly mismanage our time. We need to start really screwing up our agendas and schedules and expectations for life. We need to get out of the plans in our own heads and get into the moment, noticing the people around us and taking the time to slow down and see them. We need to decide that taking time is sometimes more important than being on time. We need to blink ourselves awake in a line at the restaurant or supermarket or post office, really seeing the person in front of us as someone who climbed out of bed this morning and brushed their teeth and has a story worth telling. We need to disconnect from the seduction of high-definition displays and instead connect with the inner lives of the ones we love. When we receive the gift of belonging, we bubble over with the gift and become the gift giver. Where we once ached to belong, we now ache to become a place of belonging in a crowded, lonely world. We become a people set ablaze with the ability and the desire to really see our spouses and children and friends and neighbors and every locked-out stranger. So that is this week's reading. Um, I'm curious to hear any reactions you might have to it. Um, Again, after this this weekend in Texas, I think that last line, and every locked-out stranger... um, it, it's a it's a powerful phrase for me because I went into a weekend with people who were mostly strangers and discovered immediately upon arriving that I belonged. Um, and so belonging isn't necessarily um, something that happens because, you know, your kids attend the same soccer camps or you go to the same church <laughs> or you vote for the same candidate or... Um, you live on the same block or you read the same books, that belonging is a reality and, uh, and you will discover belonging in places, even with strangers, as long as those strangers have committed to getting connected with that reality as well. Um, the ultimate belonging of all of us to each other. Um, and when you're, when you're around a group of people like that, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, so... Um, We have the ability and desire to really see our spouses, children, friends, neighbors, and every locked out stranger. That could become sort of the the direction of our lives. What are your thoughts? Alan writes, what an awesome story. To truly be seen is such a gift. Yeah, you know, Alan, 
the the juxtaposition of you know pulling on that door and having it rattle and it was locked and having a bunch of people look at me and then look down and then this man sees me from further away and makes the journey to me um and that in the same way you know um we might run into somebody on the street and the people who are closest to them might have spent the whole morning not seeing them right and then there's just one thing we can do to say i see i see you and all of a sudden there's a sense of belonging created in that moment from from somebody who walked from further away um to to reach out to them and see them um actually sort of reminds me of we were getting on the plane uh coming home from waco and uh my wife said to the flight attendant at the gate i like your perfume and there was just this sort of beautiful exchange between them, and uh, um, you know, I'm I'm certain that the flight attendant felt like she belonged a little bit more. That's, by the way, one of my wife's gifts is creating a sense of belonging. Donna writes, "Your wife has a lot of gifts. Loved getting that time with her, and you, of course. It was telling to me that not one single time during the lovable weekend did I feel lonely. Not once. How revealing that being with people who not only just accept but celebrate." You're my journey of being lovable. Yeah, and you know what, um, Donna, I will add to that. One of the things that I was so impressed by with the weekend was that that sense of unloneliness didn't come as a result of lack of boundaries, um, you know, emotional boundaries, personal boundaries. Um, people weren't just people weren't just laying it all out there, uh, you know, to the to the point where um, there was nothing left that was private for people. Um, there was this really healthy, healthy, like, like we've talked about boundaries that arise from the true self. Um, and, uh, and yet the true self shows up and, and no one's feeling lonely, even though not all of our stuff is out there. Right. Um, I just was so grateful for the, the capacity to, to do that in that group. Carrie Lynn writes, years ago, when I felt so incredibly lonely and completely invisible, God gave me these tender, loving words to hear. I am seen. I am heard. I am known intimately. I am loved. Wow. Carrie Lynn, thank you for the gift of sharing that with us. Um, in a moment where you felt lonely and completely invisible, the voice of grace spoke up and you heard the truth, the truth about you. And it's the same truth about everyone. That's the good news. Ugh, good news doesn't get any better than that. So thank you, Carrie. Carrie Lynn. <laughs> Stephanie writes, wow, a thousand lonely disguises. That resonates. The alarm clock moment happened for me when my husband and I were forced to really see each other. His confession of an affair, oh, wow, broke my spirit and my identity. I felt like a stranger in my own life and marriage. Yet almost seven years later, that first real conversation of vulnerability opened us to sharing eventually everything all my lonely secrets came out too suddenly we really saw each other through therapy we gained a huge understanding of who we are individually and together now the sense of belonging is immensely full wow thank you for sharing that here um and and describing perfectly beautifully what is required to heal from an affair it, there's no there's no gray area in the healing from an affair that the the affair presents you with the choice um, we're either all in on working towards this vulnerability thing um, 
or um, we're gonna hedge our bets and uh, and no real healing will happen and we've got tough decisions to make it's such a beautiful description of it stephanie um, thank you for uh, redeeming a little bit of that pain even here today by sharing it with other people um, i know there are people out there who need to hear that deb w writes yes that was so good we've talked about social media and how that sense of longing to belong ultimately leaves us feeling less than this space on Wednesday has become pretty much the only thing I interact with on social media, and my connections with real-life friends has only deepened and expanded because of it. Yeah, I don't. Thank you for that, Deb. Um, that I guess that that I'm I'm grateful to hear that because I think if if we could sort of raise the bar in social media for what we're willing to engage with, does it actually? cultivate a sense of true belonging or at least increase my capacity to go out in the world and cultivate true belonging and if we use that measure and then we made our our social media decisions and our our electronic decisions based upon that criteria um, i think we'd do what you're we doing deb and we'd find ourselves much more in the flesh and blood world sort of being sent out um, to cultivate that kind of true belonging and actually that's that's going to be our, our practice uh, today. So that's actually a pretty good segue into that. Deb W writes, yes, absolutely. My bar for what counts as connection is, is so much higher now. You said that perfectly. And you know, Deb, and I know you, and it's not higher in a judgmental way, right? It's not higher in a, oh, well, um, you know, you're not good enough for me sort of way. It's just, it's just higher in the sense of, I know what true belonging looks and feels like. And why would I settle for less than that? I have limited time and energy on this, on this big rock. Why would I settle for less than that? Okay, so let's, let's get practical now. Um, in a culture of mass counterfeit connection, by the way, if anyone saw this, that the, um, I think that the, the, is it the British government now has a minister of loneliness? I mean, it's, 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 a, it's an epidemic. And yet we're in this culture of mass connection. So let's call it in a culture of mass counterfeit. Everyone's talking about fake news. Let's let's call it fake connection. <laughs> in a culture of mass counterfeit connection, how can we truly connect with our people? Um, and Deb W, you've already started to talk about it. And and I think the one word that sort of captures it is the word gathering. So let's talk about that in today's practice. So far, the weeks of loving probably have not felt very well lovely. This is because all true belonging begins with self-revelation, and all true self-revelation begins with the very painful process of letting down our defenses, letting up on our ego, and letting go of some of the people who can't accept who we are. These were difficult weeks. Now, though, for the remaining weeks of loving, we are going to shift toward cultivating belonging with those who remain. In a busy world, the ritual of gathering is becoming an antiquated practice. We congregate on Facebook and it fools us into feeling like we've experienced satisfying community. We text on the go and juggle a hundred conversations without really settling into any of them. We are moving too fast to slow down and see each other. Perhaps this is why therapy is an increasingly coveted experience. It is a weekly ritual of gathering. You can count on someone showing up, slowing down, and seeing you. We need to create more spaces like this, and this week we are going to do just that begin to establish a ritual of gathering. Reach out to one or more people, no more than eight, who live near you. Physical proximity is essential for feeling seen. Skype won't do. <laughs> These are the people in your day-to-day -day life who you feel closest to. 
the people you feel most comfortable revealing yourself to, the people who have demonstrated acceptance for who you are. Tell them you'd like to establish a regular time of gathering, at least one hour, preferably once per week. I know that's a tall order though, so at least once a month. The key is regularity. Work together to find a time that works for everyone, then put it in the calendar on your phone. Set it to repeat. Do not set an end date. Give your group a name, an identity. At your first meeting, establish the ground rules. Confidentiality is important, also respect. But whatever else you decide, make sure you share a common goal to slowly, over time, reveal your truest self to each other and to learn even more clearly who you are in the process. So that's it for the, this week. And, and really it boils down to something that is simple but can't happen immediately. It has to begin to happen and grow over time, which is to begin to establish a ritual of regular gathering with the same people, with the same, who share the same sort of intentions. Um, you know, this is, I think, I think the, the traditional book club is a great example of this. In theory, a book club should be a place of true connection and true belonging, right? You're all saying you're interested in the same content. You're all reading the same thing. You're all discussing the same thing. But if the foundational intention of the group isn't to um, truly show up, to truly um, begin to ease into that process of revealing your true self and connecting in that way, um, then a book club can be as sort of impersonal as any other club. Um, this is this goes beyond that. This is a belonging club rather than a book club, uh, a place of true gathering that, that begins to grow and uh, congeal over time. So anyway, I'd love to hear what you think about that idea. Stephanie writes, love the ICU ritual of really looking at face-to-face -face with people for true connection. Reminds me of the song by Leona Lewis from Avatar called I See You, which they said to mean, I love you. Oh yeah, I'm going to go back and listen to that. Thank you for sharing that, Stephanie. Um, by the way, if you go back and watch the movie Avatar, and if you said the native peoples represent the true self, and the invading military presence represents the false self, right? All cannons and ego and thrones and power. And the beauty and gentleness and sense of unity and interconnectedness of the native people so beautifully portrays so many of the qualities of the true self. So it's a, mo it's a movie worth watching from that perspective. Thanks for, thanks for reminding us of it, Stephanie. Carrie Lynn writes, tall order. I want this so much. Gather. Ah, so sweet. Um, yeah, and, and Carrie Lynn, it is a, it's a tall order. Like these guys that in the restaurant, you know, the, the, you knew that they've been doing this for years and years and years, you know? And I think if we could probably see the formation and the evolution of that group over time, um, we'd realize that it just doesn't happen overnight. It is a tall order. Um, but it's something that you're growing into and, and the, and the focus, the meditation, the intention is gathering. That's just the anchoring idea. And then, and then uh, our belonging sort of begins to, um, to happen around that idea. Deb F writes, my book club was the first place I found my tribe. Our love of books brought us together. Now it's become a soft place to land for all of us. I love that, Deb, that your book club sort of, you, you were able to take it to the next level with those people. Um, and a book club is a great introduction to um, gathering and building belonging and it's pretty cool that you were able to do that. Deb Debbie writes, this one is easy for me this week. Finally, Nate and I meet weekly, monthly with a group of friends and have been doing so for the past six years. Can't say enough about how powerful this practice is. All right, Deb, I'm glad that this practice is coming alongside you and affirming what you're already doing. And so you're sort of 
you're reassuring us six years down the road. If we start to practice this now, um, we will experience the fruits of that commitment and that intention. So um, awesome. I'm so glad to hear that that's the case for you. Stephanie writes, Toronto, Canada. Yes, Kelly, I sent out your podcast link to like 30 people last week. Oh, that's awesome, Stephanie. I am a life coach and my work is predominantly focused on identity. I'd love to meet regularly with people using Lovable as curriculum. That is really cool. Thank you for um, sharing it. I hope I hope the podcast can become sort of a gathering point for you and your people. And, uh, and Stephanie, um, reach out to me by email. I'm going to, um, I'm close to having developed a, both an individual and group curriculum for reading through Lovable together. Um, and would love to get that to you. So just reach out to me. And once it's complete, I will be sure to send it. Alan writes, this practice of gathering to really see and know each other reminds me of our featured guest for last fall's Baha'i Bicentenary Quote, Ubuntu, the art of seeing and being seen. Ubuntu philosophy. Need to revisit that talk and those friends. Alan, thanks for sharing that uh, resource with us. So for those listening, quote, Ubuntu, which is spelled U-B-U-N-T-U, the art of seeing and being seen. Google that. It'll take you to a Wikipedia page and uh, take you a little bit deeper into this idea of, um, of of truly seeing each other. Um, not just glancing at each other, but truly seeing and gathering with each other. And Brenda writes, wondering if my husband would go for an empty nesters group for our area or not, laugh out loud. It's a great idea. I love the idea of uh, um, of centering a group around a theme, empty nesters, right? And then seeing who, who shows up and wants to, wants to gradually begin to put that role down and say, okay, we started out here with our empty nesters role. Um, and now how do we connect at the deepest sort of human level? That'd be really cool. Um, I hope your husband's interested. All right, let's wrap up the discussion here for this week. Thanks again, everyone. Um, I am looking forward to our discussion next week. It's going to be, we are entering the second half of the year of listening and loving and living. It's week 27. It's called the essential building block of belonging. Um, and we, in that week are going to focus out on how to build your belonging upon the solid foundation of true empathy. Until then, remember you are lovable and so is everyone else. Find a gathering in which everyone else knows this is true as well. Thanks again for joining us on the Lovable Podcast. Remember, this companion book can stand on its own, but it stands a little taller and a little stronger on the shoulders of Lovable. So if you have not picked up a copy of Lovable yet, it is available wherever books are sold and you can get it in paperback, digital, or audio format. If you'd like to simply download a sample of Lovable, you can go to my website, drkellyflanagan.com. That's drkellyflanagan.com. In the right sidebar, sign up to receive my blog post by email, and you will immediately receive a free sample of Lovable and a free copy of my ebook, The Marriage Manifesto. The music for the Lovable podcast is courtesy of Ellie Holcomb and is entitled Wonderfully Made from her album Red Sea Road. Until next week, friends, remember, you are lovable.